Good morning. This is attorney Vincent Davis, and you're on the radio with Get Your Kids Back Now. This radio show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of this show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. I hope everyone is doing fine this Saturday morning. Uh, Today's topic is uh, suing the social worker or the the CPS or DCFS social worker. Um, About a month ago, there was what I will call a historic case in Los Angeles County. Uh, The case I don't think is uh, finalized, although the jury came to a verdict. I think there's going to be an appeal by the um, plaintiff and her attorneys and or by the county. Um, But a mother who was accused of child abuse and child neglect uh, lost her child um, in the juvenile dependency court. Her name was uh, Lena Duval. And uh, she had to go to family law court to try to get or regain custody and visitation of the child because the juvenile case was eventually closed. And as I understand it, she never had or never was able to do um, to get her child back or to get increased visitation. And as I um, am informed, she was having monitored visits, and it still is having monitored visits, I believe, with the child for two days a week, about two hours a day. And this has been over a series of a long period of time, years, I believe. Well, Ms. Duvall found an attorney in uh, San Diego. Uh, His name is Sean McMillan. He's a guru at uh, suing uh, social workers uh, around the state of California. And uh, he spent uh, a lot of time, a lot of money, and he w- and his trial team were aw- and Ms. Duval were awarded, uh, I believe the figure was $3.1 million by a jury for the wrongdoing of social workers uh, during her juvenile case. It's a historic case, in my opinion, because I believe it's the first time that such an award was given to a parent who never one, or excuse me, who never got her her child back. Generally before um, it was, I would have to say standard operating procedure. If you went to an attorney and you wanted to sue the social worker, the first thing the attorney would ask you was, uh, did you get your child back? And if you didn't get your child back, um, a lot of attorneys weren't uh, inclined to take your case. And I have to admit, I was one of those attorneys. But now after Attorney McMillan has proven that that is not necessary, um, I think a lot more people are going to come forward and expose the wrongdoing and the lies by social workers uh, in court through their reports and through their testimony, uh, and people are going to be held accountable. There is a case um, that we sent out in our email advertisement for the show this week um, it's been filed by my office. Uh, the case is called Fernandez uh, versus the County of Los Angeles. And in this particular case, um, the client lost her child based in part, and in my opinion, a large part, by forgeries by the social worker. So let me explain. Um, the social worker wanted to get information regarding the child uh, from the child's uh, doctor. And the nurse at the doctor's office told the social worker she couldn't get uh, the information unless the mother signed a release of information to release the medical records. And in this particular case, she was a young mother raising her child, a single mother. Well, The social worker apparently uh, was not satisfied with 
Ms. Fernandez's um, decision not to sign the medical release because no one could uh, force her to do that. And in order to try to gain information and evidence, this social worker allegedly uh, forged Ms. Fernandez's name on a medical release slip. In other words, the social worker signed Ms. Fernandez's name uh, to the release of the information, the medical information, to the social worker. Now, as you might imagine, um, this is illegal uh, and it is not supposed to be done. And so we are suing that social worker in the county of Los Angeles because we believe that it is a common practice, um, at least within this county, probably in, in a lot of counties, where uh, this type of uh, activity goes on. In Attorney McMillan's case, in the Duval case that was just tried in downtown Los Angeles, uh, they had ample evidence of wrongdoing, of uh, exaggerations, if not outright lies told by the social workers in order to, um, to keep the child away from Ms. Duval. And apparently, uh, uh, Ms. Duval was vindicated years later. She still, as I understand, doesn't have custody or increased visitation with her child, but maybe the factual findings used in the um, in the civil jury, civil rights case uh, will be able to be used somehow in the family law court to allow Ms. Duval to regain custody and or uh, liberalized and frequent unmonitored visitation with her child. Right now, um, before we talk more about suing social workers, I'm going to take a call uh, from our audience. Uh, the caller is area code 562, ending in 29. Good morning. You're on Hi. with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning. Did you have a question to ask us, or did you have a story to tell? Uh, I have a story to uh, tell the audience this morning. Please share. Uh, well, me and my wife uh, a few months ago uh, entered a CPS case involving our children because my son ended up going to the hospital for a blood infection that uh, ended up in his elbow. CPS picked up the case saying that it was child abuse and child neglect and took our kids with no history of anything from my wife, not even a speeding ticket. They took the kids out of the house and they took my son with them. And huh? No, I'm listening. Hello? Yes. So in, in point of doing everything with CPS, we, okay, started jumping through the hoops and doing everything what they asked and let them into our homes without f fully knowing all the knowledge about what they involved in. Having us sign paperwork and everything out saying it was just a routine checkup. It really wasn't. We found out later. And there was nothing on no grounds for them to take her children, but they locked us out of the hospital while my son was going through the surgery and in the recovery and everything else when he's only seven months old. So we contact Mr. Davis and start going through the court system and everything else, and he represented us in court and proved to the judge that we have done no wrong. There is no evidence of neglect, abuse, nothing, and still got denied our children back. And so for doing, now we haven't had visitation with our son in two months because they switched social workers because the first social worker didn't even have a certificate of completion of anything to be a social worker. She was a volunteer. 
So now this new social worker hasn't contacted us back. Nothing. Finally got a hold of the supervisor. No contact back now. But what's going on? And we're sitting here still applying with everything what CPS has asked, with all their classes, all signed up in, doing them. And we're stuck. You know, thank you for sharing that. And I just want to tell you that um, we're going to be taking steps to file what's called a 388 petition uh, to either have the social worker removed or to have the court make a finding that they are not offering you and your wife family reunification services. And we're going to also be uh, making a argument and a pitch to the judge that the children should be returned or at the very least that you and the mother should be giving uh, unmonitored and overnight visits with the child. Um, I want to thank you for sharing your story because, you know, you and I sat through that trial together and we proved thank that you. nothing, in my opinion, we proved uh, that nothing had been done wrong. Um, Not only that, but, the, uh, the social worker that was on our case at that time lied throughout the whole trial and you made her go back and even review her own case notes and still lied after reviewing the case notes. Right. And, you know, one of the things that we weren't able to do in the case, um, because you have to do it in a separate civil rights case, but uh, as soon as we are able to get these children back to you, uh, we're going to be filing a civil rights case on the parent's behalf in order to get you compensated because um, the judge, in my opinion, ruled against us because of the social workers, uh, the social worker, this one particular social worker, being untruthful on the stand in her reports. So it's my feeling that within the future, like uh, Ms. Lena Duval, who I mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show in her lawsuit with attorney Sean McMillan, I think that you and the mother are going to be vindicated and you might uh, be entitled to a substantial uh, civil award against the county and against the social worker. I want to thank you for your call and sharing. I'm going to move on to another call right now. Thank you, Mr. Davis. I'll talk to you on Monday. Okay, right now I'm going to take a call from area code 619 ending in 34. Hi, how's it going? Good morning. morning. Good, how are you? Did you did you call uh, in to share a story well, with us or ask a question or both? Yeah, so my story, um, I've been involved in a CPS case now for the last six months plus. Um, I am active duty. I have seven children. Um, I've had three social workers work my case. Um, and each one has been equally ineffective in helping me reunify, if you will. Um, the first social worker, uh, the, the whole thing started, like, for me, it was out of the blue. Um, there was a concern about my son. And some, he's he's autistic. He... Uh, as autistic children do when they start to get into the age where they start to develop um, sexually, they, you know, they start to explore. So because of that, they showed up at my door while I was at work and threatened my wife and told her that if she didn't do exactly what they told her to, she was going to lose the kids. They were going to take them and put them in foster care. Um, And then proceeded for the next four days to get her to, to do various things <clears throat> with the threat that if she didn't do exactly what they wanted, they were going to take the kids. And it ended in them taking the kids. Um, <laughs> and that was just the beginning. Um, we went to the detainment hearing, and my county lawyer basically told me to sit down and shut up and not, not say anything. Um, I believe the judge ordered detainment specifically because uh, the social workers 
had written the detainment reports to make it sound like I was abusive, neglectful, and just outright an unfit parent. Um, they accused me of domestic violence. They accused me of rape. They accused me of child abuse. They accused me of uh, everything under the sun. Yet the petition they filed was for general neglect. And then the wording that they used was very explicit uh, in regards to the incident that happened with my son. <clears throat> but I never got the chance to basically argue my my point, and I was very new to the whole thing and not really sure what was going on. Um, then we went to the uh, jurisdiction, the, the JD hearing, the jurisdiction disposition hearing, where uh, the second social worker, after detainment, the first social worker stepped away from the case. There was a new social worker that came in. So there was a period of about three weeks where nothing happened. Uh, from the first time that the social worker approached me, even to now, I had been trying to volunteer for services, trying, you know, what do I need to do to get my kids back? Was the thing for me? This is the question that I asked every social worker I talked to. What do I need to do to get my kids back? Um, they waited until July to even get my services started. Uh, bear in mind that they showed up at, at my house in May. Um, I had set trial for jurisdiction. The judge pulled me and my wife into the um, the courtroom, cleared the courtroom, and basically told us that there was no way that we would win jurisdiction, that no judge would make a finding that would prevent the court from taking jurisdiction, and the best we could hope for was to change the wording in the petition to protect our son so that the petition doesn't change from a B to a D. So instead of fighting and going to trial, uh, we signed the we signed our, our right away for you know, disputing all the allegations, thinking that it was going to protect our son. And we were, you know, under county counsel or county lawyers were counseling us that this was the best deal we were going to get. Um, then at disposition. they offered to send two of my children home to my wife if I volunteered to leave. Because up to this point, both me and my wife had maintained that there was no domestic violence, there was no uh, abuse, there was no, no nothing really. And in order to get me to leave, they, they said, we will send two of your children home. So instead of taking disposition to trial, I took the deal, I found a, a room to rent, and agreed to leave my home because it meant that two of my children wouldn't languish away at the, the children's center. And the agreement so that we had come to, well, in my mind, it was, it was direct coercion. But basically, they told me I had no chance of winning anything and that you know, if I just, if I fought them, they were going to make it worse for me. And the only thing I could do was take it and hope to protect my son. Some people call that extortion and, or blackmail. Uh, well, I believe it is. I mean, they had my children hostage and they told me that um, because the, one of the children that uh, they were going to send home was my extreme special needs daughter who was in a wheelchair, uh, diagnosed with a working uh, diagnosis of, of CP, cerebral palsy. Um, she has a severe seizure disorder. Uh, she can barely, or she can barely move. She can't walk. She can barely talk. And she was sitting in the the, the children's center down here in San Diego, um, in front of a TV, just having seizure after seizure after seizure, with no one monitoring her, uh, even though. 
they maintained that she had a constant one-on-one. There was a very distinct day. I remember it was a Monday. She came out to a visit, and her head was to one side. She couldn't even lift it up. She was drooling. She, her eyes were unfocused. She was. She looked post-ectal. Um, and my daughter has a history of having seizures about once a month. Um, when they finally sent her home to my wife, she was able to take her into the neurologist and the family neurologist, and I say family neurologist because I have two other special needs children, both on the spectrum, uh, both with seizure disorders. Um, and at this point, five of my seven children have had seizures, have had at least one seizure, and three of them have had enough seizures to warrant you know, medication to control. But she is by far the worst. Uh, we've we had a major seizure in April that put her in the hospital that kind of started the whole process of, in, in my opinion, the beginning before CPF showed up. But she was sitting there having seizure after seizure and nobody was catching it. And so in fear for her life, I took the deal. I found a place to live and, you know, I got her home. Uh, she's, now home with mom and she's doing great. She's smiling. She's what she could do. She's sitting up on her own. She still has a hard time holding her head up, but she's getting better. She's getting, you know, she's actually getting physical therapy now, which she wasn't when she was in Polinsky. And um, she's getting occupational therapy and speech therapy now. And she's seeing her specialists again, which the social workers tried to accuse us of medical neglect. And then when they finally got a hold of my doctor, they realized not only is there not medical neglect, but they had never seen a family that was so well connected with medical professionals. I I literally have a page of medical professionals for my children from developmental specialists to uh, neurologists, to gastroenterology, to um, endocrinology. um, And the list goes on and on. But that being said, they still decided not to send the other five home. Since then, the agency has been working on my 16-year-old pretty heavily in that they are working day and night trying to find excuses and reasons um, why she should get everything she wants, which is to basically not come home. She doesn't want to come home. She doesn't want to have anything to do with the family. Uh, she's currently in a place where uh, the foster parent makes a ton of money more than I do. Um, she's got her own you know, cell phone now, which I couldn't afford to give her, um, and basically free reign to do whatever she wants, and she's got no siblings. So they're using her to muck up the case, if you will, and she's playing right along with it. Meanwhile, my other children, I still have one sitting in Polinsky and has been there for over 180 days. Um, she's on the spectrum, and she's just languishing there. I have three others in foster care. She just in foster home. Um, and I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that they not only get to see me and mom as much as possible, but get to see each other as much as possible. Uh, To that effect, I have been uh, very adamant with the social workers. Uh, I've not just talked to my social worker, but I've talked to her supervisor and I've talked to her manager um, because at disposition, which was July, um, till last week, nothing had been done with my case. No forward progress had been made. Nothing. The social worker, every time I talked to her, it was, well, I got to talk to my supervisor. And then she just wouldn't get back to me. I just now got my supervision lifted. Um, And I think that was largely in part of the 388 that got filed. Um, The... I have court on Monday to discuss uh, some Nicola and 388 petitions. And the social worker's report from uh, for this Monday 
when you compare it to the social workers report from the last court hearing, there's a lot of things that are exactly the same. And then there's a lot of things where she says the exact opposite of what she had said in the previous report. Um, I currently have a child sitting in a foster home who has made numerous reports of being afraid of these foster parents. They can yell at him. They call him names. Uh, they, they, he cries at the end of every visit. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Don't make me go. And when I brought this up to the social worker that, you know, he was claiming fear, which was the claim that they used to take my children. They said that my children said that they were afraid of me. Uh, the, foster, the social worker told me, well, I'm trying to preserve placement at all costs. And that is a direct quote from her. Um, if I had gotten or been in a position to actually retain a lawyer at the beginning of the whole process, I'm pretty sure it never would have made its jurisdiction. Um, I'm sorry, could you say that again if you were what? If I had been able to retain a lawyer at the beginning of this process, um, like prior to detainment, it probably would have never made it to jurisdiction. Um, I found out at 1700 the day prior to the detainment hearing that they were going to take us to court to detain the kids. Well, um, look, I'm eating into my room. I'm sure. It sounds like, though, that with the 388, you're making progress. And I want our listeners to know uh, that they should Google Welfare and Institutions Code Section 388 here in California and read it because it is a an escape hatch. It is a tool that parents can use to rectify the wrongs that have been done to them. And in this particular case, um, you know, so it sounds like you're going to be getting unmonitored visits, and it sounds like once you get the children back that you should seriously consider, uh, you know, pursuing a lawsuit, a civil rights lawsuit, because it's my belief that the children, excuse me, the social worker um, has perhaps, uh, or one of the social workers has perpetrated some intrudes against you in order to keep your children away from you. Right. And I, I believe that's true. Like the first social worker that opened the case, um, I believe she had been involved in a call to my family beforehand, um, previous to, to this case being opened. Uh, one of my children who was special needs with a seizure disorder um, had a seizure at school um, where he came out of the seizure talking about a, a bad man or basically a dark shadow is the way he described it. Described it. Um, and he came out of it making some claims. And um, when he made those claims, the teachers thought that he was talking about me, so they called social services. And this woman came to my door and threatened to take my children if I didn't let her in. She threatened to go to my command if I didn't let her in. She threatened to get me kicked out of base housing if I didn't let her in. And I told her she, she couldn't come in without a, a warrant and she got irate and yelled at me and then stormed off. I went into the office, talked to her supervisor, told the supervisor what happened, and I didn't see this woman again until um, this year in May. And then the detainment report she wrote and outright lied, outright lied, created allegations, put my wife and children in a position for... Yeah, I do, and I just need to prove it. <laughs> and then the second social worker disregarded my medical rights. Uh, they went as far as telling the uh, doctors that seeing my children after they'd been taken, prior to jurisdiction being uh, settled, they told the medical providers that my wife and I had no right to be at any medical appointment, and I was actually denied the ability to attend a medical appointment because of what the social workers told them. And this was prior to jurisdiction. 
Then with the third social worker, they've outright uh, disregarded my educational rights in regards to my special needs children um, because it's little known facts here in San Diego. Um, what the social workers will tell you is that the children have to go to, to the, the school it, for which the district in which they reside. Basically, where do they lay their head? However, in a reunification um, case such as this, where there's the possibility that children could get returned to the home and their home district could change in the middle of the school year, the social worker has the ability to sign something, uh, sign a piece of paper, and the two districts work together to provide transportation for that child so that they can start the school year in the district that would be considered their home district after reunification. This social worker that I have uh, re refused to do that wouldn't even discuss educational rights with me in regards to my special needs children. And when you're talking children on the spectrum, you want to limit the amount of upheaval in their lives when they're changing homes. You don't also want to have to change schools. But they played it just right to, you know, start all of my children in whatever school they, you know, they happen to be closest to. And now when they do come home, they're going to have to start all over in a brand new school. That's very so, I mean, just those three things alone is a, is a lawsuit, in my opinion, not to mention all of the falsities that they've been putting in the reports that I never got the chance to um, disregard the fact that the judge told me that I was not going to win jurisdiction and that the best thing I could do was to get the wording in the petition changed to protect my son and then to see social services now going after him like he is a sex offender, even after getting the wording changed. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things there that I believe the only way to right those wrongs is through a lawsuit. May I ask you a question? Well, knowing I mean, what you know now, knowing what you know now, would you insist, would you have insisted on having a trial? Or would you have taken the deal yes. the judge was offering you? I would have insisted on the trial because it, the only reason why I took it was to protect my son so that he didn't have to be treated like a criminal. And they're st still treating him like a criminal, and they're still going after him for these allegations that, um, he, like, he even saw a therapist before detainment. Like, right now... Social services is saying, oh, well, there's a protection issue because of what your son did. Before this, before the 388 got filed, their whole mantra was, oh, domestic violence, domestic violence, domestic violence, there's domestic violence, with zero evidence. We're talking, when you're talking domestic violence in a CPS case, a lot of times there's also a criminal case going on. There's an, an arrest record, a police report. There's some hard evidence. The only yeah. evidence in this case when it comes to domestic violence yeah. is okay, buddy. Okay. The only evidence is what the social worker has claimed and the fact that they used Prima Fossey to get the judge to make a true finding at the detainment report uh, detainment hearing. That's the only evidence that, in regards to domestic violence. Was that was that false? The domestic violence um accusations? Yes. Yes. Well yeah. Um, there was, uh, so my wife went through a, an assessment to determine what she, you know, what kind of services she needed. Did she need a victim's group or individual counseling? Um, and in June, prior to jurisdiction being set, she went to a therapist to do this assessment. And the therapist did the assessment and found no evidence of domestic violence. And then filed the report and waited for social services to pay for it. Social services waited until August to pay for it after jurisdiction and disposition had been set, and then rejected this therapist's claims altogether. In order for there to be domestic violence, first the victim has to accuse the offender. The fact that the victim isn't accusing the offender, social services is, in my opinion, is, I mean, how does that even work? Right. So, yes, sir, it sounds like... It sounds like the saga for your case is not over. I hope you do, in your family, do some type of civil rights case. And I want to thank you for calling in today and sharing your story. Sure. You have a good day. Right now, I'm. 
Right now, I'm going to take another call uh, from area code 949, ending in 29. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning, Mr. Davis. Good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I have a story to tell that I wanted to share with with you. Please do. Please do. Um, so for your audience, back in April 2014, I had received a phone call from a woman stating to be a DCFS social worker. Um, she gave me two options. She gave me, I have two children, by the way, uh, one that is now 13 who has special needs and a daughter who is 10, um, and she has no no special needs. Um, so I received a phone call, and she let me know that my son had accused me of hurting him and hurting his sister and uh, continuing to hurt them if he should say anything to anybody. And she told me that my two options were either I give my children to the police, that she would have the police come pick them up, and or to give my children to their father. I was completely, as a parent could imagine, uh, taken by it, emotional, had no idea what was going on. Um, but what I did know was that that was not in any shape, way, or form true, uh, which I told her. Um, she told me that those are my options, and I so I told her, okay, for now, I will definitely give them to their father. I would never put them to anything, you know, having to do with police. That's crazy traumatic. So I, I told her, okay, um, I'll, I'll get a hold of dad. I'll take them to dad. Um, so for about five, almost six months, this social worker DCFS social worker asked me to immediately terminate uh, child support and to transfer my son's SSI. Um, the SSI, though, played its part later towards the end of the five, almost six months, but nonetheless to transfer his benefits to dad and to for me to take anger management classes and parenting classes straight away in order to have overnight visits with my children. I um, did everything. I did everything as fast as I could, however I could. And I got certificates from these nonprofit organizations that I went to for the parenting classes and the anger management classes. In the process of everything, I found myself obviously in a room with other parents that were, you know, truly dealing with DCFS workers and not having their babies and working towards getting them back and X, Y, Z. But all of them had met their social worker. And I kept telling the the teachers or instructors uh, of the classes, you know, I've never met mine. She, I've asked to meet her. I'm going through this. I think they thought I was kind of crazy. <laughs> and so they said, okay, just keep listening to her. And that's what it was. But in the end, I, I received a really thick stack of paperwork. And again, this was me at this point towards the end of the five, six months. I... Something just did not feel right, and I was begging and pleading this woman to to come meet me. I even went to the actual DCFS office in Torrance, and I sat in the parking lot, and I texted her and some family, like, look, maybe if I come to her, but then I backtracked and ended up going home because I felt like maybe I'm not do that. It was a time of complete desperation for me. I didn't know what to do, but my point in it was that I, she wouldn't come meet me. Um, and there was always an excuse, you know, we, we've relocated offices. I have a lot of high profile cases, so I'm not able to at the moment. And so I received a, you know, a really thick stack of paperwork. And in this paperwork, it was stamped copy on the top for me. And my ex-husband had the originals where I was to meet with him and sign his original that he was going to sign um, as well and submit to the court to have it filed. Um, so the paperwork that he had, we had the same exact paperwork, but when I read that paperwork, I realized that it was asking me to sign over 
all of my parental rights, which I always had primary physical custody of both my children, even after our divorce, and um, joint legal with him. But it wasn't just that. It was in this paperwork, I had never seen anything like it. And I fell apart. And as I read it, I just fell apart because it was asking me to sign over my rights to my children in every shape, way, and form that a parent could. Um, you know, if all rights to dad and if and when the kids also wanted to, aside from if dad would allow it, um, it was crazy. It was really bogus. So I reached out to a friend's mother, my son's godfather's mother, and little to my surprise, um, you know, I asked her, I said, this is what I'm going through. It's been a while. I don't know what to do. Um, so I went to her in the middle of the night. She said, okay, honey, come over. I looked at the paperwork, and the reason why I went to her is I remember that she used to be a social worker many moons ago. I mean, she's been retired for almost 15 years, but I didn't know who to turn to. Um, so I went to her house, and she did let me know, you know, I haven't been working as, you know, in office for many years, but I, um, I'm going to contact somebody, and when she told me who, it was actually her, her twin sister, and I, I didn't want anybody to know, because, again, it was such a dark and almost shameful time for me and my family, thinking that this was really happening, um, when it wasn't true, so she told me then, she goes, well, I'm going to contact her, because she just retired a year and a half ago, and she used to be the, you know, one of the, uh, a head chief for DCFS's fraud department. The chances of me landing there, I have no idea how that worked out, but I did. And the next morning when I drove home, you know, or that night, um, the next morning, they, they called me and they said, we need you to sit down. And I freaked out because at this point, my ex-husband, um, in the process of these five, six months, had also, you know, I had given him my kids social security cards and their birth certificates and all of this. Um, so they told me that they looked it up and that there was no case. There was nothing with regards to our socials in, in, uh, with DCFS. It was a complete fake, all bogus. And um, from there, I contacted your office, Mr. Davis's office, and um, at that point, I let them know that it wasn't, in fact, true. It was all a fraud. Um, I do want to say that when I contacted, for your audience to know, when I contacted Mr. Davis's office, it was on a Sunday, and I was already a mess emotionally from, from trying to prove something that wasn't true, you know, um, through the hoops of what five, six months can do when you, you're trying to get your kids back for something that you know is not true. And in the process, seeing my kids go through manipulation in every way possible, um, especially my son, um, my daughter too, but my son with his special needs was really, the number was done on both of them. Um, so I reached out to Vince on a Sunday Mr. Davis's office, I apologize. And he literally met me that day within, I want to say, I think it was within like three hours. And they full on took on our, our case. And we went to court back on an emergency ex parte. And my ex-husband, through circumstantial evidence alone, um, lost all his rights all of his parental rights. He has since then um, had supervised visitations. He has, I do want to highlight that Mr. Davis at the time, uh, for me, I, I was just rolling with the punches and honestly being held up by Mr. Davis's support with regards to his staff and or family. But in the process of it, the way it all played out, um, Mr. Davis fought for, and Ms. Lavea fought for what was clear and, and you know, right. Um, and they, my ex-husband at the time, he, he tried to make a fuss about even minors or uh, about uh, choosing the monitor. And we let him choose that. 
uh, not a problem as long as they were certified and through the courts. All good. But Chris lost all his rights, and since then it has still been an uphill battle in the sense where you really never know who or what you're dealing with, and and we're still rolling with the punches. <laughs> um, but my kids are safe and sound, and we did a year of therapy, um, everybody, and we're still there, and Mr. Davis is still continuing to to be our kind of our backbone. <laughs> um, and so I thought I should share this story with your audience today. And I just want to thank you again for being there every step of the way and um, moving forward. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you calling in and sharing your story. Why don't you tell the audience what happened to the father and the uh, fake social worker? So what ended up happening um, through the process of, of realizing that this was a fake, uh, the, pol- the local police department was obviously uh, involved above and beyond as well with the process of the investigation. It took about a year to do what they needed to do to have enough hard evidence. Um, and also they, they never stopped doing I don't want to use the word shady, but never stop doing things to try to make them look innocent. Um, but they were a year later arrested. Um, there was enough evidence, a little bit of everything, uh, uh, writ, you know, writing, audio, whatnot, things here and there, that the arrests were made. And so now they're also being charged criminally. And they ended up losing for about a month and a half their own. They have a, well, now they have two, but at the time they just had a child together and her, her daughter. Um, it's a really horrible process. I don't, I can't imagine why. Um, but they were arrested and they're still, there is now restraining orders, um, one on him and the other for her against myself and the kids. Um, and the process criminally is, is still going on. Um, but nonetheless, it, it's a matter of time before, before official, I think, arrests are made. Um, but we're still dealing with, with them through family court. We're still dealing with them through criminal court. And even child support court, which is interesting because though I have not received any child support for the kids and I had declined our, uh, you know, social support years ago, um, he wants to bring down child support, though he's not paying. It's just a really bizarre, I think, state of mind that they are in. Um but I just, I always want to emphasize the focus of what, what, what a, what a really, I don't want to say good because it doesn't do it any, any justice in my opinion, but the service that your, your firm has provided us, the peace of mind, knowing that these, they're relentless, um, despite having a full on barrier of professionals, seasoned professionals, people will do what they will. And I feel that it's so important to have a good attorney that, attorney, attorneys, that is going to do right by the system and most importantly, the kids and the family. Because to be a victim, it's not, it's not, a victim and or, you know, accused of wrongdoing, it's just, it's a horrible, horrible thing to find the, to muster up the um, the strength to keep going when you have so much to deal with. Um, so I just can't say anything more aside from that, that I could not do this without you and yours. Well, thank you very much for calling in and sharing that with us. And uh, keep strong. 
the battle's not over. We have a long way to go, and uh, we'll be uh, assisting you all the way through. Thank you again for calling. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay, we're running short on time, but I'm going to try to take a couple more calls. Next call is from area code 626, ending in 47. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vincent Davis. Do you have a story to tell or a question to ask or both? Good morning. I have a question. Can you hear me? Okay. Good morning. Okay, and me and my mom has the privilege of meeting you this Thursday, and I want to tell you again, thank you for taking the time out just to meet with us, and we learned so much through you. We just really, really appreciate you, and I want to let you know that it's not many people that really have a passion for what they do, and you really do, sir, and I want to thank you because there are so many women in men and children out here that need your support and you I haven't even retained you or anything but just that little short amount of time that I was with you we really felt very comfortable and it really gave us enough strength to just push on some more but I do have a question and I want to uh, right now I'm on supervised visitation and so uh, I was wondering, how do I get off of supervised visitation? Because my baby has to drive with the HSA for like 45 minutes alone, and I'm really, really uncomfortable with that. Okay, well, in order to get supervised visitation, um, the, the easiest way to do it is to set it up through the social worker. But I know in your case, we have a very negative social worker against you. So what you have to do is you and your attorney have to file what's called a 388 petition. This petition, and I've talked about it in earlier calls, is the go-to tool for parents to use and try to right wrongs or change existing orders. A 388 uh, is filed. The form actually is about four pages. You can find it online by just Googling uh, WIC 388 uh, petition. And uh, there's an official California judicial form. You pull it up, you fill it out. It's fairly self-explanatory, but you do need the help of uh, an attorney. The important part of the petition is not on the form. It's the attachments that you need to use. And these are the following attachments. You need a very specific declaration under penalty of perjury as to why you should get unmonitored visits, including overnights, weekends, or you know, at the very most that you want the children returned to you. So the, the, the declaration has to tell a story of what has happened with you and your counseling and your parenting or whatever you've done since the disposition hearing. It's best to do it in a, um, you know, a chronological order, and it's best to attach evidence to the, your declaration. And what evidence am I talking about? The evidence I'm talking about are certificates showing the completion of your classes, the completion of your counseling, a progress letter from your teachers or your counselors, and are any other certificates that you might have regarding any um, you know, types of services that you were ordered to do. Now, you weren't ordered to do all of these counseling uh, and services, but I'm just going to say this for the, uh, for the sake of the audience. So you would want your parenting instructor or your parenting certificate. You would want your individual counseling uh, letter, progress letter, you or certificate. You would want your group counseling or certificate, group counseling letter or certificate. You would want all of your clean drug tests. You would want a letter from your drug counselor. You would want a letter from your anger management counselor. You would want a letter from your sex abuse counselor, and on and on and on. Now. You were in order to do those things. I was just saying that for the sake of the audience. That is the type of evidence that you want to um, attach to your declaration. In addition, in addition, you want to attach some recent pictures of you and the child during your visitation. 
And if you have a DVD or video, everybody has a cell phone that does video these days, you know, you would want to take a video of your visitation to show how the child is reacting to you. A lot of times people come to court and say, ah, the kid doesn't like the visitation with the mom, or there's no real bond, there's no real connection. And you know that's not true. The easiest way to show that that's not true is through pictures and video. So I ask a lot of people, um, who was Rodney King? Well, everybody knows um, who Rodney King was, and the only reason why you know it is because of video, video evidence. So it's important to have video evidence and the pictures. So that's the best way for you to um, get uh, the unmonitored visitation that you want. And I do remember meeting with you, and I do remember your case. Um, you should not only file a 388 to have um, the children have unmonitored visitation, you should have make a request to have the children or the child turn to you now. Because as I recall, you've done nearly everything or you have done everything that the, that the judge ordered you to do at the disposition hearing. Um, and as I recall, your child is placed with an unfriendly relative who may be mm -hmm. moving to permanently take that child away from you. And apparently this um, seizure of your child is by this unfriendly relative is being supported by the social worker. Mm -hmm. So um, you need to work with your attorney. I know um, you were still thinking about hiring us, and I would be very happy if you did, but if you didn't hire us, you need to hire a competent juvenile dependency attorney in order to do that for you, and uh, or have your court-appointed attorney uh, do that for you. Now, I don't recall what you told me about your court-appointed attorney, um, but your court-appointed attorney is still your attorney, and is still supposed to assist you. So you can also give your court-appointed attorney a call, or better yet, send your court-appointed attorney an email, an email uh, so that uh, it can document that you're making this request to file a 388, and um, you would like to give uh, the attorney some input, you know, based upon research you've done. And I think while you were at the office, I gave you a, a free copy of my book, and uh, mm -hmm. I, also gave you a I also gave you a DVD of a seminar that I did for parents on CPS cases. So you have information, and that is the most important thing in the world, is that you as a parent whose child has been taken away, you have to educate yourself. You have to get information so that you can assist yourself and assist your attorney or any attorney um, you know, on your case. Because I'm going to be honest with you, an attorney can't do it all. A lot of people hire me and or talk to me, and they expect me to be uh, some type of magician. An attorney can only do and work with what the evidence and information gives that attorney. So you should be actively, all parents should be actively involved in their case. Just do not sit back and wait for an attorney to do something for you. I hope that answers your question. It very much did. Very much. I appreciate, well, I appreciate you so. You I appreciate okay. you calling this morning and sharing with us and asking questions. Keep Okay. All right, we're running out of time. We have less than a minute. I want to wrap up some things. Um, I didn't get to talk again as much as I wanted to about um, suing a social worker um, who has lied or uh, done wrongs in your case. If you want to talk to me, please give us a call at 888-888-6582, and we'd be happy to sit down and give you a free consultation and talk to you about your case, about suing social workers, or about what needs to be done in your case so that you can get your child back in your custody or your children back in your custody. Next week we're on the show, we're going to continue workers and civil rights violations. So until then, um, 
have a good weekend, and we'll see you next week on the radio.